Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And guess what? I'm especially excited this week because there's no James Scowcroft. There's no Rory Smith. But of course, we've gotten used to that. Uh, instead, we have the excellent Tony Cascarino in studio, which is particularly apt because later on, we're going to have my favorite or second favorite Times writer of all time, George Culkin, joining us on the line to talk about Dundalk, which I believe Dundalk is about as Irish as you are. Yeah. Similar. Maybe even a little bit more. A tremendous story, tremendous story. George Culkin, uh, an excellent piece on Dundalk. Alison Rudd in the studio, not to be confused with her older sister, Amber. And down the phone from deepest, darkest Mortlake, Richmondy type area. Rich- I, Richmond Park Village, as I want to call it. Just Richmond get, Park get house, Village. Get the house prices up. I know, <laughs> I know you're expecting me to say Matthew Syed, but it's not. It's Matt Dickinson. Uh, we're going to start in the Premier League. And in fact, you know how normally we have those debate segments, which only I really care about? We're no debate segment this week. We're going to talk look at three Premier League games instead of two because the Premier League race is so darn exciting with three teams top of the table. And of course, we're going to start in Alan Pardew's house, Crystal Palace and Liverpool. I'm kind of digging this Liverpool club thing more and more every week. The Italian in me which is 100%. Ah, I get really annoyed by some of the goofy defending, but I almost kind of feel like these defensive errors, when they're sort of, you know, individual brain farts, like, you know, Dejan Lovren, it's okay. It's not, you know, I worry more when it's sort of collectively being undermanned or, or unnecessary risks. And I thought Liverpool were fun to watch, showed character, and basically ripped Palace apart. Uh, am I right, Dicko? I think you are right. Like you say, there's, I mean, there's a lot has been said about about the dubious defending, as you quite rightly say, when one is just a complete shank uh, of a miskick, then yeah, that's not that's not really to do with systems. I mean, I think the way they play probably can bring a certain sort of risk just just by being being front foot. Um, you know, they're not a risk averse team, um, Liverpool, um, and all the better for that in terms of watching them and in terms of the neutral. I don't see some huge contagion. They're letting, they do let in some goals from set pieces that we can, you know, look at uh, maybe more often than Klopp would like. But I think, you know, I understand why he keeps batting back this question of, look, you know, I know how my team play and I, I don't see that there is some, some sort of systemic problem here in defending. I think the fact that um, Marino on the side always slightly worries me because we know that he has got, to use your phrase, a brain heart in him. Um, that's, yeah, we've seen that we've seen that over a while. But I think Matip has been a, a good a good signing, um, and I think they're they're looking like a, a a really progressive front foot team that occasionally has a blooper. Cass, I respectfully disagree a little bit with Dicko on uh, on, on Moreno mm. because I do think he's good going forward. By the way, but I just think he's you know we've seen too many. Too many well, you know, to be, the, to, the one to, where to he sure. got slaughtered for earlier this year, when then when then he was Watford. dropped for co- whatever game it was, I kind of thought like, you know what, 
It's also because people were like, oh, look, he's going forward. And like, yeah, but it's what, he's doing what he's kind of told to do. I, I remember the goal you were talking about. The ball gets lost in midfield. And he's made he's gambled to go forward as a fullback because he's so adventurous, Moreno. And because he can't get back quick enough, he's eventually he's caught, scores uh, the, the goal. But the ball was lost in midfield. But I, it's I, not just that. I mean, we've just seen, you know, look, I'm not, you know, he's, he's, he's a youngish player who's hopefully improving mm-hmm. and maturing. But we've seen enough times that, you know, he's just, he's been prone to rushes of, of blood or just, just mistakes that you look at and just think, you know, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember which European game, which game was it last, last the end, towards the end of last season where he was... The final. Ruin the final, Matt. He was, he was almost, um, I was at Anfield and he was almost, he's almost sort of, you know, he was one notch off liability stage at one stage where, you know, he was, he was just in danger of giving away a penalty or something reckless almost sort of every, every, every time they were under pressure. But, you know, he's, yeah. hey, he, is improve, he is improving, but I just mm. think... Um, I don't look at him and just think, hmm, that's, that's... He has uh, a mad five minutes, Matt. He has that yeah. period in a game where, like he did on Saturday against Palace, he had a crazy, just two or three minutes before half-time where he'd done three things wrong in them couple of minutes, but the first half, he was superb. Yeah, he's not. I, I would forgive him positionally as well, like you, Gab, because because presumably he's told to be adventurous. Mm. It's an attack. And, and gaps, fullback and is gaps, an attacking and position. And gaps will appear. But when he mm. is faced one on one with a decision to make, I think slightly too often he doesn't make the right decision. See, Wilfred Sarr never got a kick against him. He found it so hard to get past him. Moreno is very quick. I mean, Jamie Carragher absolutely slaughtered him. And I remember thinking, I think you were being a bit harsh, Jamie, on a lad that has made deep mistakes. But I, I think there's a lot to come from him. I really do. Hey, Alison, what I wonder about, this is more of a broader Klopp tactical question, but if Moreno doesn't play left back, Milner, who who's, I guess was, was unavailable at, at Palace, and it's Milner. They seem to be two very, very different players. From a tactical perspective, if you, you have an idea you want to play, normally your, your starter and your substitute are, are similar players, right? So that the system isn't really affected when one is missing. In an ideal world, yes, you're right. But I don't, well, maybe not in an ideal world. Maybe maybe the perfect substitute is the opposite of what you would have. I. So that if, when somebody if, gets injured, if the whole the pers- game changes? No, because it's not, no, if you, if you analyse it... How often are you bringing it on like for like just because of an injury? I mean, that's that's negative thinking. Presumably, the the point of a bench is that you can change tactically. So, if you've got Moreno as the backup to Milner, you've got you've got a different type of player to bring on to change to change the way your approach to the match, rather than thinking I want a Milner identikit to come on. Dicko, that's actually a theme I want to explore because it manifests itself, of course, up front with with Daniel Sturridge as well, who's, I think, very different from the three guys he has playing up front. And he can't get on the pitch, partly because they're all playing really, really well. So he's not grabbed his chances as... I think you know, we've seen, we've talked about this before, haven't we? There's, this, there's a sort of standoff that's, that's been going on, I think, of Klopp you know, challenging him temperamentally as much as anything. And I think you know, he's, he's, he's been, found, been found wanting a bit. I mean, there's well, no, no one doubts he's got talent, but he just doesn't seem to involve himself... Um, as he needs to. Okay, can you can you explain that a little further? Because when you say challenge temperamentally, what, what, does Klopp want him to make runs and movements that he doesn't do, or that he doesn't do as well as the other guys? Strikes me. I mean, we, I saw it with the the last England game as well, where where Sturridge can you know he seems to play in in bursts. He seems to you know he seems to sort of get a burst of of motivation and energy, and he suddenly sort of you, you know you see a flash of something, and you ah you know it's a sort of reminds you that he is an apps you know potentially a top quality player but his 
you know, the application that Klopp requires is pretty much incessant, isn't it? And you see that from Firmino, you've seen that you know, increasingly from Coutinho, Lana, Mane. I mean, these these guys are, are are relentless in their application, and I think that's you know that's the way the system works, isn't it? And uh, I think with Sturridge now, whether it is sort of you know stylistically or whether you say something to do with his head, and I think it is much more to do with his head. He just doesn't seem to be able to to, to bring that constant application. Given what what Diggo just said, um, <clears throat> he's English. He scores a, a ton of goals or has scored a ton of goals. He might just not be a great fit here the way Benteke wasn't. And given that there's always a market for, for English yeah. players and there's always clubs in mid-table who've got a bucket loads of cash, would you explore the possibility of selling him if you could get, say, 25, 30 million for him? Well, I think I'd go along the same lines as Klopp, probably, yes. I think he... You would sell He's him. a player that probably thinks in his head he's more important to be in the team than Klopp thinks he is. Klopp obviously thinks, do I need him? Yeah, he can do certain things that I might need. But is he a first-team starter? Quite clearly not. Would you, Alison? Would you sell him? Or would you try to reclaim him? No, I think Sturridge is, is a really classy player and he's a classy personality that somehow, with his media appearances, seems to come over badly a lot of the time. He comes over as arrogant or uh, I think Matt alluded to it you know he has he, he believes he's important I, I I don't think any club even even one that thinks they could win the title could should dispense with someone who's classy and it's not as if he's lazy and it's not as if he doesn't run around he's just not quite quite okay. perfect in the Klopp model but I still think some of the things he does and his attitude is spot on. There's nothing wrong with his attitude at all. He's just a slightly different player. And I think if he if he if he can be happy knowing he's not the number one star player at the club, if he can absorb that and still give everything when he is picked, I would keep him. Yeah. So there's Cass- nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong in a player not yeah, being happy, not playing. Yeah, let's take it. You know, we're not we're not yeah. character assassinating Daniel Sturridge here. Sometimes it just doesn't work at the club. So, Allison. Would not sell. Cass would sell. No, I'd only, I, no, no, no. I sell, if you can get twenty-five, he has to fit the the. You know, obviously, you you go for replacements. You just don't sell because no, just, no, just uh, yes. Selling. Presumably, you bring you, in another. You bring in some. Yes, well, and it's not easy to replace. I mean, his gifts. You know, they're not easily replaced. Certainly not. Certainly not. English, but his uh, gifts right now. That. Sorry, he's, I'm, I'm sorry about this. Okay, I. I I'm not picking on the guy, but, but in the real world, the managers have to make real world decisions. So you either believe in Sturridge and are confident enough that you can keep him happy not being first choice and playing in certain yeah, well, games or in situations. And you have to be confident, though, that you can do that or well, I think, I think, you sell him for 25, 30 million, right? Well, I, I mean, they're in that position where, as, as, you know, if you're chasing the, the big prize as Liverpool Liverpool are, I mean, whether they're, they get, how close they're going to get to it, um, I, I don't think they'll win the, the, the Premier League, but, you know, not having Europe is, is, a, is a boon for them in that respect. And, I, you know, I think they're going to, they're looking like they're going to give it a run. But I think, yeah, that given what they're chasing and the resources they need, then you'd be mad to sell, think of selling him at the moment. But, yeah, I think it's a very delicate balance with him. And I think, you know, Klopp's treading a fine line. Occasionally he's come out in public and given him a sort of tweak in public. He's left him out of the team, not even put him on the pitch in a game that you're, you're winning like this one. He's got Origi to, to throw on instead. I think you're just trying to jug- keep keep all those resources while trying to, to sort of juggle it temperamentally. And so, Alan Pardew, last season does great in the first half of the season. This year, doing less great in the first half of the season. They brought in some big players like like Penteke, obviously, uh, Steve Mondanda, who 
I was actually kind of excited about. Is this thing working with pards? Oh, it doesn't quite feel right, if I'm brutally honest, Gab. I think it feels a little bit awry in some strange way where, yes, he spent big and bought in Bentick, as we talked about. Townsend came in, didn't start the weekend, bought in Tompkins alongside Dan. I don't know what it is. It just, I'll tell you what it is. He got rid of Mele Jed in it. The beard. I think it's a lot more. Tony Cascarina has given me this look as if to say, you are completely <laughs> nutty. No, what I mean is, A, you've got Mele Jedinak, who's a very, I think, a very underrated, very important, was a very underrated, important you player. Have Villa give him but back it's about why he got rid of him. It, it was this sort of idea that uh, Jedinak was Mr. Palace and was very controlling and had this real captain of everything. Not just the captain, the captain of everything. I think Pardew just thought, well, do I, don't, know, I don't want that influence. Well, do you know who's really surprised me about poor he's been is Kabai? I think he's just been And Kabai right. has been I've an seen, indulged player by he's, Pardew. He's sat in front of the back four. And I, I just, I thought he was a bit more of a tenacious midfielder, got on a little bit further up the field, be creative, maybe nicking in a goal. He's played quite a really reserved role for Palace. I haven't quite got that role. Dicko, if you're the owners... Not perish so much because he seems to be, he seems to react to situations more than act to them. But should you look at this and say, you know what, we've got some really talented players here, and well, I think I, would you, you be expect, confident you can expect, that he can, can? Well, no, you can expect more than yeah, like you said with the signings, that a couple of signings, a bit of money that they put in, uh, the quality of those signings. I think you should be you should be expecting you know at least solid. You know, you shouldn't be expecting a relegation fight. You should be expecting an you know settled well, as settled as Pardew um, gets um, manager. Yeah, I think you should be expecting, you know, solid mid-table. But then, you know... But that's where they are in the table. They're 12th, where they're 12th at the moment. So I think, yeah, there's a a slight sense of that they've underperformed in those first 12 games. But I I wouldn't be panicking yet. Want to share something from our sponsors, FanDuel.co.uk. FanDuel is basically one-day fantasy football. It's kind of neat because if, like me, you're kind of bored by fantasy football and you sort of think it's something that you know kids do this way you can you can get the good bit of the excitement of it uh, without committing for a whole season long and you can actually uh, win money as well basically what you do is you sign up you choose your contest it's normally matches on one day uh, or, or maybe over over a weekend and uh, you've got a budget, and you pick your team. And then the rest is pretty much along fantasy football lines with one major twist, which I really like, is, you know, fantasy football, a lot of these games, because they're designed with for, for six-year-olds, you just get points for goals and assists and clean sheets. No, here, they actually have a formula. It's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more complex. It looks into passes, interceptions, tackles, all these things. So you get, I think, a more a more truer reflection of, uh, of of how your players have performed. And so the poor defensive midfielder is actually quite good, uh, doesn't get penalized by the glory-hunting striker who comes on sort of 10 minutes from the end and scores. Um, I've, I've played the game as my producer, Dave. I have to say, uh, this past weekend, I, I'm still holding out hope, but uh, I, I played one which included the two Sunday fixtures and the Monday night fixture. I'm... I'm hoping Ryan Shawcross bails me out because my other guys uh, haven't done too well. I'm kind of middle of the pack, but it's kind of good. And I kept finding myself going back and checking to see how my guys were doing as uh, as the game uh, went on. So you go to fanduel.co.uk and enter our promo code the game, uh, all one word, in the promo code field uh, to sign up, and then you'll be able to bag this offer of ten pounds of free credit. I know we have listeners from all over, so I should tell you that this 
device is only available in the United Kingdom uh, and only if you're over the age of 18. Please pay responsibly. Terms apply. Let's move on to West Brom and Manchester City. The winless streak is over for Pep. We always kind of knew this whole winless streak thing was kind of nonsense because they actually But played. it was true. I know, but they also kind of played really well for some of those games, right? I mean, one of them was the League Cup where they played like Maffeo and all those dudes nobody's ever heard of. And another one was Everton, which they just obviously deserve to win. And no shame in losing to Barca. Maybe there's a bit of shame in losing that way. Dicko, you, you, you were always a believer, right? Uh, well, I've always been, yeah, always believed in that he's he's got massive qualities. I always believe that he's going to try and do things that others others maybe don't. Always thought that um, City going to be you know there or thereabouts in the in the top two um, for most of the season. So yeah, I, I think um, there's a bit. I mean, one of those games was was obviously in Barcelona, which was pretty um, sort of freakish in, in in a few ways. Well, it's, it's freakish just that you're playing against Lionel Messi. You know, I actually thought that his his methods would take a while to bed in this season. So I, I was more in, sort of startled by the fact that they they started so hot because I did think it would take quite a few months. Uh, given how exact um, and precise uh, you know his his methodology can be, I thought it would take longer probably to to, to sort of manifest itself. Cass, it's interesting that in this game, we, we've seen him mess around with the back threes and Sane and whatever. I'm not going to suggest that Guardiola's conservative, but in this in this game, he certainly went back to sort of basic pep, i.e. the setup that worked for him before. 4-1-4-1, obviously at Fernando, uh, which you talked about in, in, in the game, um, at right back. But it was kind of like everybody's playing in their positions in the pep scheme and, you know, you don't have the full back stepping into midfield like we did in the first mm-hmm. game of the season. And Sergio Aguero's back up front, and we go and we just execute and we we outplay West Brom because they don't match up very well against us. Is that basically what he did? Yeah, and um, good homework because sometimes we get managers who have an incredible ego who think they can just play the way they want to against the opposition week in, week out. He chose to go with a very solid ABC formation that worked brilliantly and knew that he had much better technical players that could get on the ball i.e. Silva and people like Aguero who could finish like no other. They got their chances, they took them and done it really once they got to 2-0 up in the game. You know, they'd done it in such good, real hard-working fashion as well. It wasn't done in a, you know, just brilliance. I mean, I know the second goal by Aguero was amazing, just a brilliant strike. But just, it was very ABC that he went for. And do you know what? It worked against a very ABC team. Oh. Sorry. ABC team. Well, it well, is. Well, Why is West Brom? Well, West Brom, West Brom were particularly dreadful in that first half they are for ABC. them. Alison was Fle- there. Fletcher, Fletcher, got, Fletcher got booed when he was... Um, Not nice, that, is it? ...substituted. And I don't, don't approve of that at all, but he was particularly mm. poor. poor. Yeah. I, I would have thought any most teams in the Premier League would have enjoyed that first half, mm. to be honest, given, given, given the hesitancy that West Brom was showing and the individual mistakes. But in the second half... West Brom really, they went 4-3-3. They tried to put the defence um, Fernandinho under pressure. And for about 25 minutes, it worked. And if, if Rondon could score, who knows what would have happened. I don't think it was quite as ABC as you're painting it because there was a no. period in that game where City did nothing. They, they were winning 2-0 That's what, and they, they sort of froze really a little around, bit and, and, and the attractive football for about 20-odd minutes was being played by West yeah. Brom. Well, when, you're, when you go 2-0 up, 
There's no urgency to try and get a third or fourth. You'll know the oppositions will make mistakes. They'll overcommit. And West Brom did get better, far better in the second half. They couldn't have been much worse in the first minutes. No, they couldn't, minutes. fair enough. So, but you know, it's that, also that's the case, create. though. I mean, what, what, what's West Brom going to do at 2-0? Uh, yeah. uh, you know, if they chuck people forwards, then, you know, the Aguero's going to destroy you. Yeah, you. exactly. But, um, Alison, I, I was just curious. Who is... I, I learned that Dave Kemp is an assistant to... He was with me at Gillingham, by the way, in my very start okay. in my career, very start. He was a centre <laughs> forward at Gillingham, David Kemp. Where was the West Brom manager? He had things to do, apparently. You're joking. No, he had places to be. No, no, I'm, I'm sure... Seriously, that was the excuse given. He's got places to be. What kind of a... I mean, and he was, he was suited and booted when he did the BBC, so I assume he was going out for dinner. Dicko, right, <laughs> I, know, I know this is not going to be high in any of our listeners' priorities, but... Unless he had like a, a a family emergency or or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's part I, of, I, I think this is completely unacceptable. It's part of the match. They. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, it's probably not. Uh, no manager's going to see it. Oh, but, he's um, not the first manager to send a deputy. No, no, up. not at all. But you know, and then obviously, you know, you get a situation where I, I, seriously, he I, gets I, a battering or the Mourinho being sent off, and he decides to send Rui Ferreira up to be sarcastic in his place, and very well he does it too. Because we've all been there. We, you know, you wait in there in the post-match press conference, and the number two walks in, and everyone. Audibly groans. It's um, you, it's not it's not the first time it's happened. Excuse me. I wish the Premier League would would grow a pair and and just start start finding people. We'll talk about Sunderland in a minute. I, I want to start with with Arsenal. So this Alexis Sanchez up front thing is is now a thing. Even though Giroud comes on and scores two goals, Alison, I, do you like Alexis at centre forward? When he's playing well, I think he's a bit when patchy. He's playing well, when he's but, uh, a bit patchy, he didn't start the season very well. He's been disappointing until of late. Uh, when he plays well, he's he's uh, he's almost in the Aguero uh, bracket, I would suggest. But the I thought the eye-catching performance was Giroud because he just brings that sort of arrogant physicality to Arsenal that they often. Look like you know they look like what where they going to is this going to peter out is this going to be very pretty but they're not going to get three points I'm not sure what's going on here and I just like his straightforward bang bang ownership um, attitude by all means mix it up if they're both kept happy by mixing up then I think I think Wenger should do that as much as well, possible. There's no indication that he is going to mix it up because Giroud hadn't played more really? than a month and it's quite easy to understand why he played Sanchez because if you look at the two centre halves you go John O'Shea and Mikone they're both. Big, strong, six-foot-three players. He probably thought, do you know what? I want to get someone to get in between them, not fight with every do ball Do you really think Arsene Wenger is the kind of manager who says, ooh, how can I go and change my game plan so I can adjust to <laughs> Sunderland? We're last in the table well, and have two points. Gab, I'm only making a statement because, look, Giroud hasn't played a lot of football. So yeah. he's probably thinking he can stay on the bench. If I've no, got no, guys, no. he's uh, had Walcott I, in weeks before that have got him goals, playing in that role, and he's got now got Sanchez who's done the same thing. He's probably gone, do you know what, I'm going to stay with this. We look creative. We've got pace up wide. We've got people who are going to cause problems. We'll probably get the lead. And it, that's how it felt to me. It was, And he'd probably gone, do you know what, I don't want to go with Giroud down the middle against them two. It might make us play slightly different. So, to me, it was quite a normal thing to do. Dicko, I, I feel like, and it's not because he's tall and handsome, it really isn't. I, I feel like I'm one of the few Giroud defenders out there. And, and, I just and defended loads, him. There's loads just of Giroud. Him. Stop saying you're the only one. I know loads of people who love Giroud. Arsenal fans are chanting his name all the time. Do you not listen to that, Gab? Do you not listen to what I just I, said? I don't listen to Arsenal fans. and <laughs> You don't listen to what I just said? No, because you're talking about alternating them. I don't want to alternate them. I want Giroud to be my centre forward if 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 I'm Arsenal. I want Alexis well, Sanchez starting from deeper. 
Wayne? I'm quite happy seeing this 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 one for a while, to be honest. I'm with Cass, so you and Alison can go off and with your posters of Giroud on the wall and <laughs> gaze fondly at him. What, what I don't understand is, and I know he misses a lot of chances, and that's the accusation. No one he does because he... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. He's a big fella. He often tends to look more uncoordinated, right? I ungainly awkward all those sorts of things you, you, yeah. you, did you, people used to say that about you yes Tony? exactly no, they nice. did ungainly was the one I didn't like so when, when Robert Fleck used to miss a chance and you missed a I'd chance I'd get blamed for it you'd get blamed for it right and you'd probably look silly. because he's playing Fleck, with him right well, there you go <laughs> Charlie but, Nicholas did that to me so he if you, he misses a lot of chances because he's in the end of a lot of chances in the same way that, that he was with, mm. with, with France at the Euros and there's a lot of chances there because Arsenal create a lot of chances. But he also his goals per minute rate is really, really good. Mm. There's maybe three or four center forwards in the Premier League who've got a better one than he does. Well, why don't you want Olivier Giroud on the pitch? Well, you might want him on the pitch a certain time. In the bit back but you don't want him starting. Time. You want Alexis no, Sanchez well. starting as your I, center I think, forward. As you say, I think there'll be well there'll be there'll be times when he's needed. There'll be times when maybe actually, but it makes more sense to have the game plan that uh, he does start and Sanchez is running from deep. I'm just intrigued by seeing Sanchez play like that. I think we've seen enough of it to think it's, um, well, to see that it's had some success. I think Giroud's obviously had a slightly bumpy time. He had that extra rest in the after the Euros and, and sort of taking taking a while to sort of pick up the rhythm of this season. There's no two ways about that. So, uh, you know, in, and in, in the meantime, um, Arsenal have had to, to, to vary it around and I think Arsenal having to vary it around is no bad thing because you, I think you used the phrase before, but I mean, it, there is a, an arrogance about Wenger that um, he's always just seen it as, this is how we're going to play regardless. There's been a need for him to shake up more than, than he has at times. And I think, I, I think it's, been good, it's been good to see them play with a different style. I want to move on to Sunderland uh, because, frankly, they're more interesting. This is the worst start in the history of the Premier League, which, of mm. course, as younger uh, listeners will know, is when football began back in 1992. Uh, no victories, two draws, eight defeats. Cass, I was talking to you before mm. about their recruitment uh, this summer. Yeah. And you were kind of making fun of all their players and not just the ones with funny names like Ndong or, or Donald Love. And it does all seem kind of male porno. Um, but <laughs> seriously, I, I didn't think it was going to be it was going to be quite this bad and, and I, I I really like David Moyes but I don't understand what this is I, I don't understand this this, this Stephen Pinar who right, Pinar really I just don't get it no nor do I and look David Moyes has gone back and to clubs he's had players before which is what a lot of managers do they yep. like to go back with what they know but to take you know Paddy McNair okay young lad he might like for United as you mentioned Donald Love um, it's not a case of too many Irish players, is it? No, okay. but, you know, even Anishabi was a really stranger of me. He, West Brom didn't want him, and he took him. Now he might have felt, well, I might need him a squad member. OK, you're trying to make an allowance for nearly all these signings. And Yanazai, and we all know he's a talented lad, struggled at Dortmund. And then David Adam at Man United brings him to Sunderland. He's done OK, but every one of his signings, I'm looking and thinking, not one of your signings has been 
good. Or played well, really, really well from the start of the season. You mentioned Endong, and some of them have done okay, but I thought their equipment was terrible in the summer. And he might argue, I think it was August the 12th, he got the job. He might argue that, oh, it was too late, or I didn't get people I wanted in. Well, I'm sorry, you had a team that fought like hell at the end of last season that stayed up. You had enough within that group to keep going and add a bit more to it. So I, I, yeah, I just you're, you're spot on there. You're spot on there. He's what he's what he's done is he's not seen what was good at yeah. the end of last season. He's gone in thinking I'm going to rebuild Sunderland and make them a completely different club, a club that isn't fighting relegation, that's elegantly loitering around mid-table without any pressure. You. But with the signings he's made and the budget he had, you can't do that. No, it's, I think it's from start to finish. I don't think it's a good thing. Uh, from David himself, I mean, he's his management and talking on Saturday, and I'm listening to him about the style of play and trying to do. It was dreadful. They they sat off Arsenal is the worst thing you can do. If you're going to give a team of Arsenal quality and individuals and say, okay, you can have the ball in your half, and when you get halfway in our half, we'll start to pressurise you. You're asking for trouble. I'm watching the game now. I'm literally embarrassed that a manager would set up his team in that manner. I'm sorry. George really puts the boot boots in here. You know, he talks about how Kone attempted to join Everton in the summer, which I would actually yeah. think is is a good thing because it means you have somebody who wants to move to a wealthier club. Jan Kirchhoff is is unfit, and Kazri bra- barely resembles a footballer. Now we yeah. saw Wabi Kazri at the end of last season. I thought he was good. Is this the problem? Did did Allison kind of nail it there, Dicko? Um, well, I think there is, but they do seem to be sort of caught between. Well, caught between styles, I think. I wonder whether he himself is caught between styles. I mean, I think, you know, David Moyes at, at, at uh, Everton, I guess in his simplest form, was sort of an underdog, feisty team. He's, I think he would probably admit himself that he's much better at, uh, well, not much better, but he's, his sort of strength is in sort of, you know, starting at the back, defensive coaching. Um, you know, he's never shall we say, being regarded as a sort of front front foot coach. And I, I sort of get the impression, I don't know, maybe partly from his travels and work abroad, maybe he's trying to do something a bit different. And I, I, I from what I've seen of Sunderland, I just worry that they're sort of, say, caught between all sorts of styles. And unless the manager has a very clear... Their players aren't good enough that unless they know exactly what they're doing and how they're going to do it. Sorry, I was going to say, Kone doesn't want to play for you, he wants to leave. OK, he wants to improve his career. He then doesn't want to play at the start of the season. Fantastic. So you don't sell him, but you then give him a new contract and you're surprised he don't play well. That's bad management for me. All right, joining us now to talk about his uh, uh, piece on Dundalk is George Calkin. Um, now, we're not used to seeing teams from the League of Ireland uh, in European competition. In fact, Dundalk became, uh, I believe, the first team to win a game in, uh, in uh, to win a European group game. But there's a whole fascinating backstory here. And, uh, uh, George, you talk about how in 2012 you had a situation where players weren't getting paid, the ground was dilapidated. From what I can make out, the ground is still dilapidated. What we see on television in the Europa League isn't actually their ground. They have to to, to go 60 miles away to Dublin. Can you tell us how it happened, how it all just fell apart? and how they turned it around so quickly. Yeah, four years ago. They didn't they have grass, apparently. No, well, they still don't. I mean, they, they still don't in the sense that they've got a plastic pitch. You know, that's that's kind of very controversial. It doesn't do them any favours because one of the things that Stephen Kenny, the manager there, is absolutely not prepared to compromise about is a desire to play, uh, you know, really good, exciting, skillful football. But rewind four years... Their last league game was watched by 260 people. They were the worst team in, in the League of Ireland. They should have been relegated. They were only saved because Monaghan went out of business 
and they got through a relegation playoff. Stephen Kenny came in. There were no players. So Monaghan is another is another Irish club. Yes. Yes. Thank correct. You. Yeah. Kenny, who is a is a kind of fascinating character, very emotional, very intense, has really sort of excelled when it comes to rebuilding. Uh, rebuilding something. He did it at Longford Town. He did it at, in Derry City. Came in and started from, I mean, literally nothing. I mean, they have got a stadium, but I've been there a couple of times. And the standard is, uh, you know, the, the, the facilities are dreadful. I mean, it doesn't kind of measure to a League One club, you know, really, or League Two club. They have two full-time administrative uh, employee employees. He gets sort of annoyed about the suggestion that his players aren't full-time. They are full-time. It's just that quite often they have to kind of put other jobs in around football. I mean, the commitment to do it is is total. And he's got a very small staff. There are very, very good staff and very professional staff. And somehow he's kind of rebuilt this this team to go from where they were to the next season they finished second and everybody thought, well, that's, that's a one-off. The next year they were champions. They've now been champions three seasons in a row. And... They've got a huge week ahead of them on Thursday. They play Zenit in the Europa League. They've they've still got a chance of getting out of the group stage. And then they've got their equivalent of the FA Cup final on Sunday and could do the double-double. It's it's an amazing story. And there, there are so many sort of different parts to it. The, the champions of, of Ireland get less than £100,000 for winning the league when there is no equivalent of TV money. So when an Irish team is shown live on television over there they actually lose money because gates tend to go down i mean that, that probably isn't the case when they're fighting for the title but it really is and by getting to where they have in europe they've earned seven million pounds or so and having having kind of been in been to dundalk and sort of seen the effect that the team has had on the town i mean it's remarkable and kenny is an incredibly is incredibly intelligent sensitive, emotional man. I spoke, had a couple of hours with him. He cried when he talked about the impact that the team had had on the town and the sacrifice that that he has to sort of, that he and the players have, have had to make. And he talked about politics and social issues in his programme, which he writes himself. And um, it's a kind of fascinating story of how well, things have come together. Yeah, George, I, I want to ask you about, about Kenny, because when I was reading, reading your piece, I thought... In the, and I'm going to generalize here, I realize in the British Isles, in the the machine that is British football, and, and of course, um, Kenny did have a stint in, in Scotland and Dunfermline, there are certain mantras about what kind of people become become managers. Yep. They, they tend to be ex-pros. You know, some are better than others. Some are clever, some less clever. They generally tend to be somewhat, either they're Ian Holloway types and they, you know, they either become sort of eccentrics or... They go and, and they're generally very guarded. They would never talk about politics or Brexit the way the way this guy does. Everything about this guy is different. He's, he was managing a, at the age of, of 26 years old. Uh, you've mentioned, you know, he writes his program notes himself. Uh, you, you mentioned the fact that, that he's talked every about everything in his program notes from, from, the, from the Chilcot Report to, 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 to the Dalai Lama. It just seems so different from almost every other... You know, again, I, I don't want to, I, I understand Ireland's a different country and everything, but, you know, the prevailing culture, at least my impression, is that, you know, even the Irish people who've done well have, tend to, at some point, go through the system in, in England or Scotland. Uh, and, in fact, he did go to Dunfermline. He's, he's, he's been sacked a bunch of times, three times, I think, Yeah. Uh, which is another thing that you generally, like, when you get sacked twice, then you generally kind of disappear forever. 
it just seems that he's got an incredible strength of character. Yeah, he he had his own successful business which he which he gave up at the at the turn of the century to that's, that's a very strange thing to say, isn't it? The turn, turn of the, of the millennium, um, I think, is more appropriate. Turn of the millennium, yeah. He's he's obviously sort of very ambitious, but the things that I mean, I don't think he had sort of thought about it this way, but I I think he has to be all in with something. I think he needs to feel that you know, he has to buy into something and then the other way around, people have to buy into him. So although he took Dunfermline to, to the Cotswolds in Scotland, it didn't work out for him. And I think he walked into a dressing room where there were a lot of egos. And at Dunfermline? The Dunfermline, yeah. And, and a bit, it's happened at some of his other clubs in Ireland mm. as well. When he's had a chance to rebuild, like he did at Longford, like he did at Derry twice, and like he's, like he's done at, at Dundalk, He's moulded something incredibly powerful, and you read things. I mean, you often, you know, read things about man management and hear things about man management and players saying this bloke's a great man manager. He, the, the the sort of the affection that he generates almost sounds like it borders on kind of mania somehow. That people absolutely love him. He's had this habit of what was a colleague in Ireland very well of, of selling places back to them. So. It's not that there wasn't any history of football in Dundalk, because there was. It's, there's a kind of very proud tradition there. And it's not it's not an area where the other, you know, the major Irish sports are sort of hugely dominant. So mm. there was something there. It was just very, very, you know, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of physical mm. attributes, there was just, you know, there was there was nothing. And he has this effect of building. It's the kind of thing that gets noticed. I'm not sure would he be the kind of manager that could come in somewhere be parachuted in with five games left in the season and George, save them from relegation. Yes. Could I, I ask know. you, George, because obviously yeah. GAR, GA football, and it, the mentality within that sport is something that I think Stephen has tried to implement and found it very difficult in football, in soccer, because that mentality of the community, the team, and everything counts and bringing everybody together is something that he's clearly achieved at Dundalk. Yeah. That is in common in G, GA. Yeah, and I suppose the League of Ireland football is, does not have the same does not have the same impact. I mean, it's not it's not Ireland's first sport. It's nowhere near it, and there's you know terrible terrible attendances at League of Ireland matches, and they're starved of resources. You know, having it, having an impact like that is more is far more difficult because he's building from a very different base. But I mean, to say that you know, so there was 260 people at, at the last league game before he came in when they were given the under the. The, the championship, there were 7,000 people inside their own stadium. And, I mean, that's not the official figure. That's very much the, not this kind of health and safety figure. But he, he has electric, I mean, you know, the, the increase there is is staggering. I mean, it's not just a footballing story. It's a sort of emotional story and social story and stuff like that. And he does find a way of plugging into that in a way which I found very moving. Uh, thank you, George. The uh, George's piece is in Monday's game and it's about Dundalk 6.3 million pounds they've made from the European adventures at 6.3 million and counting I might add and uh, they play Zenit on Thursday alright enough Dundalk uh, let's move on to some quick hits Chelsea are lurking with intent one point behind the leaders after winning 2-0 at Southampton Cass you said the players have bought into Conte's system Yes, yes. What does that mean? <laughs> well, they prefer their new roles within the team, and I think that certainly 
Ashbel Equator's improved and looked better. I think Louise has looked far more under-troubled in the heart of the defence. And I think, obviously, Moses on the right and the back f- five, should I say. Uh, Alonso, who a lot of people didn't think was good enough to play at Chelsea, has come in and fitted. All of them look better. And I could even put Gary Cahill in that as well, including, and never forget, the keeper. All five or six of them look far better organised. Yeah, I think the um, actually two of the ones who've benefited the most have actually, as you said, been uh, been Hazard and uh, and Pedro. Hmm. Manchester United are held at home by Burnley, and some crazy people even want to bench Ibrahimovic. Ha! Imagine that. Tools, all of them. Dicko, I thought United actually, and I will be in the minority. I thought they played well enough to win. I thought they created tons of chances. I worry when teams don't create chances. I thought they should have had a penalty through Darmian, and I thought Herrera's red card was ridiculous. And that really, this is not that big a deal. Am I wrong? Oh, they played well enough to win. And as you say, they created enough enough chances to win. You know, another day, they, they get a bit of luck. But there's no doubt in that Ibrahimovic does not look like a guy who is expecting to score at the moment. I mean, there was a couple of, there's one where it's sort of at the far post where, it, you know, you could see him looking at his own foot thinking, what happened there? You know, I'm not used to this. I'm used to sticking 50 goals a season in the, in the French league. So, you know, he is... He's having a wobble. There's no two ways about it, and um, that's that is a, a bit of a problem for United, if particularly playing the system they are. All praise for Sean Dyche, Allison, but from afar it does look as if he's just a guy putting eight guys in the penalty area and then relying on Tom Heaton to play out of his skin. That's unfair, isn't it? You're giving a bad look. So what did he actually do well in this game? Well, the last the last time Sean Dyche was in the Premier League, he, he did attract quite a lot of ridicule for consistently referring back to the reality of what he was dealing with. You know, limited transfer funds, limited amount of, of room for manoeuvre in bringing in new players full stop. And it, he, in a sense, it dragged them down, that sense of negativity. It was like, this time around, he's being pragmatic. He's learned his lessons from previous time he was there and if it takes eight men behind the ball occasionally then it's absolutely fine if they stay up. Tottenham are held at home by the champions Leicester City. Cass I thought they also got a pretty jammy penalty through your mate Jansen. I don't think you like him very much because you compare him to Glenn Murray. Now you're going to say oh Glenn Murray's my mate too but you suggest that he'd be at home in the championship. That's a bit harsh on Jansen, isn't it? Well, I watched him in Dutch football last year. Always felt he was very good at leading the line. Holds the ball up. Good in the air. Ungamely. Remember that word? Ungamely. Ungamely. Uh, But I also believe that you have to have a yard of pace to turn defence if you're going to play up front on my own. I know that I would definitely have struggled in the Premier League as it is today. And I think Jansen is going to find it very tricky. And reminds me of a lot of players in the, the Championship who are physically in the same Watford hit the woodwork twice and overcome Hull City 1-0. Dicko, they're actually seventh in the Premier League. I assume they won't be there for long, but can you show them some love while, while they are right up there? Well, they're surprising me with that. I have to say, I thought um, they'd probably taken uh, a chance too many changing, changing manager again. But um, Why do people uh, think changing managers is such a bad thing? Well, I don't mean changing managers is, you know, that's, I'm not saying changing managers is a bad thing. I'm saying that changing managers, when you have had, by any standards, a seemingly successful season is a surprising thing. So it's, it was more the fact that, you know, when you do well, unless you see some sort of dark underlying trend that the rest of us don't. Everton beat West Ham United on Sunday, and it looks like Ross Barkley may just be on his way back. Although, funnily enough, I was doing my ESPN show with Steve Nichol last night, and he thought Barkley was, was pants. Except he didn't say pants. Uh, Alison, <laughs> how far are Everton really from the teams we normally consider top six because you know you look at you you, you like your cumin uh you like your gay 
the midfielder. You got Lukaku scoring now. Well, Barkley was was panting, so he's clearly not quite up to speed there. I think they're really close, Everton. I think if they're going to be <clears throat> finished top six, Cummins uh, hinted at bringing in players in the uh, in the in the January window, and if if he really is going to be given funds. And that's presumably why he went to Everton, because he's going to get money. Then if he buys well, although you can't often in January, but Koeman's got quite good um, strategy and I think his past signings have been astute. Um, were those his signings or was it Well, I, I mean, someone like, it's like Virgil van Dijk. You know, Virgil van Dijk, I think, is pro- improving almost by the minute. And he only went to Southampton because um, he admired Koeman and Koeman saw in him someone that could improve at a fast rate. And that's exactly what happened. So, I, I mean, that's just one example. I think he, he doesn't have to be an established star for Koeman to know what you can do. One last thing. I'm going to give you guys a percentage question and you can all answer this. Percentage chance that the Premier League champion this year will not be one of the three sides who are top of the table. So will not be Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester City. Cass. 80%. Will not be one of them. Will not be. Wow. <gasps> you're, you're on the, that's, that's, you're on the, you laid out a marker there. 15. Dicko? Ooh, that's an intriguing one. I, I would, um, without saying, I'm going to say somewhere in the middle of those two, because, you know, yeah, Chelsea are only about 20%. United, I thought would be doing better, but fading. Yeah, 40, 40 odd. Anyway, anyway, uh, Gab, it's time for you to be given a quick hit. There was a fascinating and moderately well-written column from you today in the game on RB Leipzig, who are second in the Bundesliga despite being newly promoted. Is it a romantic tale? or Why would it be depressing? Or is it depressing? Well, some people find it depressing because um, RB Leipzig are owned by a giant corporation. They got around Germany's 50 plus one rule. Uh, which basically stipulates that club members have to uh, have to retain the majority of voting shares by creating a club from scratch and then saying, oh yeah, these are our 14 club members and they all happen to be employees of Red Bull. Um, and uh, no, nobody else can become a club member, uh, which is kind of basically corporate ownership. Uh, they've also spent an enormous amount of money. Um, they had a net spend of 50 million euros this year, which is about three times the next highest uh, spender, sorry, about two and a half times the next highest net spenders in the Bundesliga who were Bayern Munich. So these are some of the reasons uh, you might not like this. Uh, some of the reasons you might like it is that, yes, they are a nouveau riche throwing billions, but on the other hand, they kind of did it organically um, by, by getting a club in the fifth division and moving their way up. They also play tremendously entertaining, attacking football if you're into pressing and and all that stuff. Uh, they've got some really talented young players. And, you know, for people who complain that the Bundesliga, oh, it's always Bayern, and, you know, they're all worried because Dortmund are, and Bayer Leverkusen are doing poorly this year. Yeah, the fact that there's another team there that we can all learn to grow and love. Plus, they also have uh, Oliver Burke, who is Scottish, I believe, came from Nottingham Forest. Huge gamble. It's an interesting story. What sort of crowds are they getting, Gap? They're getting big crowds because, of course, uh, what they did was they uh, moved into the uh, the stadium in uh, in Leipzig, which, of course, they had at the, the World Cup. One of the other reasons people don't like them is that, obviously, they sucked all the fans out of the existing Leipzig teams who were either close to bankruptcy or just not very good. I, I think they're getting crowds in the 30,000, 40,000. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today, Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd, Matt Dickinson, and especially the incomparable George Calkin. 
Uh, remember, it's just 12 pounds for a 12 week trial. You can search The Times online and you can sign up and you get all sorts of goodies. Uh, please press that subscribe button um, wherever you choose to download your podcast and leave a review on iTunes if you're listening on an Apple device. Uh, we're going to be back next week. Bye bye.